It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com, coming soon to iOS and Android. Forget about finding your gift. You can waste year after year after year struggling to look around and find your gift. Stop it. Instead, look around to see what people need that you might be able to do or might be able to quickly learn to do. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons. Yeah, I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of How I Discovered My Gift with your host, David D. Simons. I am so honored to have our special guest today, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. He's known around the world as America's rabbi. Uh, he is a noted rabbinic scholar, popular in, inspiration, international speaker, best-selling author, and author of one of my all-time favorite books, Thou Shall Prosper, 10 Commandments for Making Money. He hosts the Rabbi Daniel Lappin podcast, as well as co-hosting the Asian wisdom, Jewish Wisdom TV show on the TCT network with his wife, Susan. He's one of America's most eloquent speakers and his ability to extract life principles from the Bible and transmit them in the entertaining manner that he does, thus improving people's finances, family, and community life, and has brought countless numbers of Jews and Christians closer to their respective faiths. Thank you, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, for joining us on the show. Thank you very much, David. It's wonderful to be with you. And, um, and, and we actually, um, we go back a few years, don't we? Yes. We've known one another for a good few years. Yes, yes. You, you know, you've spoken at the Kingdom Chamber of Commerce events for uh, through Angela and Paul Pipersburg. Uh, yes. And you, amazing job, transformational job that, that that did in my life. And, and, and I always tell people all the time in circles that I'm around, if you're struggling with business, money, um, mind blocks, please, please study the teachings from Rabbi Daniel Lappin. It will help you tremendously like it helped me. Well, I'm very, very happy to hear that. And uh, and I was so intrigued with, with your own journey of, of financial discovery uh, that um, I even got you to join me on the stage at one of our occasions together. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yes. You had me share and um, uh, share some principles from from what I've learned. And uh, <laughs> you made me laugh because you're like, I don't need to teach it anymore. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but um, yes, yes, truly. So, so Rabbi Daniel Lappin, what, with this show, we really go into the process of discovering one's gift. So there'll be some questions. Uh, we believe there are three phases, discovering, developing that gift, and then eventually distributing that gift to the world. Um, but could you tell us about your journey, starting from childhood, I know you grew up in South Africa, and, and how you developed into the person you are today, into operating in your gifts in the capacity that you are. Well, I'll, I'll try and tell you a little bit about that, but um, uh, as, as much as I love talking about myself, uh, the truth is I'm probably much more useful in giving um, practical and, and definitive advice to our audience in, in making their own determination to uh, discover what God's destiny is for them. And um, my own journey had too many uh, rabbit trails and turnoffs. And I, I don't mind telling you that once or twice, uh, I even ignored the boss and uh, I got whacked. So, um, so mine is certainly not the route for anyone else to follow. But, but in my case, uh, because my father was a, a well-known Bible teacher and rabbi, um, I grew up, you know how some children just know exactly what they want to do from childhood, right? 
and not only my father, my grandfather was a rabbi. So, so naturally, I grew up, David, knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt that the one thing I would never be is a rabbi. <laughs> that was that was clear to me. Um, but the problem was that the boss um, seems to have had different ideas, and so. Uh, so so determined was I not to be a rabbi that I actually became an electrical engineer. And uh, I was working for a, uh, a Dutch electronics company called Philips. And um, I found myself, I realized that I was stuck all day with instruments and electronic components and measurings and uh, note-taking and drawing. And I realized I can't function without contact with people. And um, and so one day at lunch, I was in the cafeteria and uh, I saw a, a cheerful group of, of two men and a woman sitting and having lunch at a table. And I didn't know that many people. I'd only been there a few weeks. And so I walked over and I said, may I join you or are you guys you know, busy with something private? No, no, sit down. And they were a, a, a cheerful little group. And uh, they asked me what I do, what department I am. I said, I'm in design. And I, I described the equipment that I was in the process of designing, along with hundreds and hundreds of other people who I never met. I just knew because pieces of paper crossed my work dance, my, my workbench. And, um, and then I said, and what do you folks do? And they said, well, we sell what you make, what you design, we sell. I said, you're kidding. You're, you're the salespeople. And they said, well, we call ourselves tech reps, technical representatives. Um, and, uh, and I said, what is the difference? They said, well, uh, a tech rep is somebody who really knows every aspect of the product that he's selling. And he's able to look at it from the point of view of the customer to see how it'll solve a problem for the car. I said, well, you've just described what every salesperson should be. And, uh, and we, and I said, so, you know, describe like, what do you guys do? Oh, we, we travel to our customers. We, we find out what their needs are. They might send us to talk to some of their other people. And then eventually we begin to identify which of Philips products will work for them. And um, I said, that's fantastic. And I thought to myself, well, at least, um, I mean, they sound as if they have a wonderful job. I like the sound of it much more than mine, but, but at least they're not getting paid anywhere near what I'm getting paid. And um, after we'd got to know one another well enough for me to feel comfortable saying, by the way, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a beginner. I've just started a few weeks ago, but uh, this is what I'm making. And I'm, I'm just curious, what range are you people in? And so they sort of looked uncomfortably at each other. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm embarrassing them. They're working for peanuts. And, uh, and then they smiled and they said, well, um, we're making, and they named a figure that was about three or four times what I was making. And that was when I realized that the wonderful profession of sales was open to anybody. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have gone to college. Anybody can learn how to sell. And so I went straight to my manager and I said, I request an immediate transfer to the sales department. I want to become a tech rep. And he said, oh, you're going to regret this. You know, he said, I'll keep your place here open for a month, but uh, you'll be back sooner than that. Well, I never went back and never looked back. And so um, I, I learned a great deal about uh, the profession of selling, which I consider to be a wonderful, wonderful profession. And, um, and, uh, and then I also, uh, the way the good Lord would have it, I, I found myself meandering closer, closer and closer back to, to my rabbinic heritage. I was asked uh, several times, I was asked to uh, sit in for a vacationing rabbi. And, and so while I was engineering, I was still also doing that in my free time. And one thing led to another and, um, and uh, I finally found my path. But, but had I just asked the simple question, which I recommend everybody ask right away, which is, how can you best serve people around you? How can you best serve people in your neighborhood, your community, people you have access to? How can you best serve them? And um, the answer might be that I can uh, learn how to sell. 
and become a sales professional. Uh, in my case, eventually, uh, the answer was, you know, uh, you can be a rabbi because, you know, the Lord gave you certain gifts uh, in terms of having wonderful Bible teachers and uh, and um, something of an ability to explain. And so uh, little by little, one thing led to another, as they say, and I found myself uh, being a rabbi. Amazing. Amazing. So that's the story. But but as I say, it's not of any use to anybody else. In the same way that, uh, you know, Bill Gates of Microsoft, his story isn't any good to anyone else either. <laughs> because, you know, if you're the person whose father was one of the best connected lawyers in the country and your mom was on the board of directors of IBM and you dropped out of Harvard just as the computer revolution was beginning, well, then I guess Bill Gates has something useful to tell you. Yeah. But if you don't, if you don't fit into that narrow category, he has nothing of any use to tell you because he doesn't know anything outside his own experience. In in my case, uh, what I speak from is not my experience, but the experience of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Jewish people in many many different countries, all of whom turned out to be exceptionally good with money. And so my work was making what they know accessible to everybody. I love that. I love that. So so with that, um, could we say that one of your gifts is teaching? And if, if not, if you could, I, I think it's teaching, but I'm sure there's other gifts. But what, what are your gifts, Rabbi Daniel Lappin? And, and how did you discover those gifts? And, 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 and as you shared, how do others that you've seen or from the wisdom that you've acquired develop their gifts and find their gifts well uh, in my case i i started off as a sales professional and i'm still a sales professional um when i you know anybody when you teach and that's what the job of a rabbi is, is to teach when you teach in a way you are selling the product has to be presented in in the most uh, effective and and beneficial way possible and so, yeah, you know, I think um, I think what I learned uh, as a sales professional stood me in very good stead. Um, when uh, I did magic tricks for my children, I was actually being a sales professional. You know, you can't you can't just pull a rabbit out of a hat. If you forget to show them first that the hat is empty, then there's no trick because they believe the rabbit was there all the time. Showing that the hat was empty is part of the sales of a magician. And uh, it's like that in, in every area of business. Um, whether you're trying to work out a transaction with somebody mutually beneficial, <clears throat> whether, you're, whether you're trying to buy a product or sell a product or a service, in every case, uh, it, is, it involves uh, the profession of selling. So, I mean, I would strongly recommend that... Um, that people who uh, who are interested in advancing their business career and it's 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 stalled or it's not where they'd like it to be or they have a feeling they could be doing much better than they are doing. Um, frankly, I would say go along and uh, learn how to sell. Um, I'd even recommend one of the masters is Zig Ziglar. Um, you know, get hold of Zig Ziglar audio programs. You can. You know, you can get them on the internet for pennies. Um, get hold of, of uh, books. Um, you know, go talk to Zig Ziglar's son, Tom, and, um, and learn. And I'm not talking about a four-year university degree. The, <laughs> the very first day you start learning how to sell, you will start discovering that you are thinking and acting differently you are already learning that how you present yourself is is important so uh, so so that i mean that's that's uh, that's a very important thing and many look um i'm i'm sure that like me you you know you know a lot of people david and uh, i know doctors who are making a lot of money i know doctors who are struggling I know plumbers who are making a lot of money. I know plumbers who are struggling. What is the difference? 
The plumber who's struggling doesn't know any less about fixing pipes than the plumber who's succeeding. The doctor who is making a lot of money doesn't know better medicine than the doctor who's making little money. In both those cases, the successful man, whether plumber, doctor, or anybody else, is the person who understands sales, how to sell. In, in the doctor's world, it's called having a bedside manner, right? And um, may you never need a doctor. But if you do, uh, I hope you find one with a, with a good bedside manner. And then, I'm, you know, if I one day say to you, how's your doctor? You're going to say he's great. But the truth is, you actually know nothing about his medical qualifications at all. You just like him. And that's because he sells his services effectively. Great point. Wow. That's, that's a great insight. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what insight can you share with us from ancient Jewish wisdom on discovering our gifts? You, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with this. They don't know. Um, they don't have things to point them to what am I good at? What am I capable of? What am I born to do? As you shared with, you gave us a nugget to ask God, what are we supposed to do and how can we help? But any other insights you can share with us about that information? Yes. Um, but I'm hesitant because you're not going to like the answer. I'm ready. <laughs> David, can I say something that's going to annoy you? Yes. Can I say something that might even make you mad? Yes. Okay, fine. Here it comes. Forget about finding your gift. Mm. You can waste year after year after year struggling to look around and find your gift. Stop it. Instead, look around to see what people need that you might be able to do or might be able to quickly learn to do. And then you will learn to love it. And it will lead you towards your gift. Sit around at home doing nothing while you, now what shall I do? You know, shall, maybe I'm a writer. Should I write a book? Or maybe I'm a, a, a website builder. Should I try that? You know, you waste day after day after day reading up about this field and that field. And each time you're trying to say, what's my gift? Forget about it. Except that you probably have no idea what your gift is yet. And now figure out what you can do. As long as it'll be something that you can do, start doing right away. I don't care what it is. But the key is to start building revenue. Start getting money in through the door. And uh, at that point, you know you are already serving God's other children. You know, I, I, again, I don't care if you decide to be a, a plumber or a, a, a dancer or a, 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 a an emergency medical technician or do, whatever. It doesn't make any But whatever you can start doing, if, in other words, if you're not doing what is working at the moment, either nothing or what you've, you know. David, I had a woman consult me the other day. Um she just loves knitting sweaters. And so she decided to start a website where she's going to sell sweaters. And it's not working. And I said, it's not working because the good Lord, he don't like no selfish people and you being selfish. She said, what are you talking about? I'm a very generous person. I said, no, you may be generous, but you're also selfish. Why? You're selfish because you've decided that because you like knitting sweaters, the world must support you knitting sweaters. You want to knit sweaters, do it on your own time, not on work time. Now you must find out what people actually want. If people really wanted sweaters from you, they'd buy them from you. But they obviously don't because they're not buying them from you. Maybe the designs are clunky. Maybe the, the price is too expensive. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, this is clearly not what you should be doing. And uh, doing what you like doing is probably the wrong thing to start trying to do. And that's and that's really something to, to, to bear in mind. Um, if... Uh, I, I'll tell you this, that if... Um, 
if I'm involved in lending out capital, and the question I always ask in, in situations where I'm asked to sit in on a, on a meeting and the applicant for capital um, sits in and says, you know, here's what I want to use the money for. Uh, I want to start a, uh, um, a cupcake business, you know, whatever. And I always start and say, tell me what made you choose cupcakes to go into business on and you know where i'm going on this david uh, what i want to hear from him is uh, i did the research the data shows that in uh, most neighborhoods there's one cupcake per you know ten thousand houses or whatever the number is i have no idea or every neighborhood that has two mcdonald's does well if it also has a cupcake store um, here is here are the figures that most cupcake store make here's why i think i'll be able to exceed that but the poor person says to me sometimes, oh, I've always been passionate about baking. I guarantee you, you're not getting the loan because we'll never see our money back. Do you see what I'm saying? Doing what you're passionate about is not always a good idea. Most times it isn't. What you should do is do what people around you actually need and the data and the research will reveal what that is. And then you'll get better and better at it and through just some of the magic and the love God has for his children, uh, you suddenly discover that this is the, the, the most wonderful thing. And, and, and David, I, I have proof for this. If, would you like some proof on it? Please. You know, after I've, I've made you mad and annoyed. No, um, I'm not mad at all. I, I appreciate this. We, and need I, we need the truth. No, I felt bad because I know that what you had asked me was finding your gift. Now I'm saying, forget your gift. Mm. Just, get out and find out what the world needs from you and it just may be very maybe your gift is is playing the saxophone i wish i could play the saxophone but if i could i sure wouldn't go try to make a living doing it and the proof of this david is that um I'm sure you've seen these interviews sometimes, you know, either on television or sometimes in the magazines or papers. Uh, they interview somebody, you know, who's um, whatever he is, is uh, works for the fire department, whatever it is. And one of the questions they usually ask at the end is, uh, so if you had to do it all over again, what would you become? And almost never do I see the person say, oh, wow, if I could do it again, the last thing I'd do is be what I am now, the fireman. I'd want to go and be a poet or I'd want to go along and, and be a, uh, you know, a plumber or whatever. No, almost everybody responds the same way, which is, boy, if I had to do it again, I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do than exactly what I'd just done. Doesn't that suggest they found their gift? Yeah, yeah. But they didn't first decide they first did do then decide is what i'm I, hearing yes that's i wish i thought of putting it that way that's right wow no that's that's profound i, I mean I, I and that i knew i knew you were going to share some gems and things that we've never looked at in a certain way so i'm so so glad and i i know the listeners are being challenged right now and i'm so glad about that um so i, I know i know um there's a common misconception between a, a skill and a gift. Um, and it seems like the way you're telling us is to develop a skill and then you'll find the gift. Could you explain, you know, because some people are naturally gifted to do certain things. Um, and some yes. people. Yes, they develop, are. that is true. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not naturally gifted in anything. Um, you're right. There's some, some people are. Uh, I, I know somebody um, who, uh, a young man who, who is gifted and, um, and he's gifted in, he's a young guy. Um, he's not even finished high school yet, but he's gifted in being able to play a musical instrument and he's gifted with mathematics. And, um, and he's consulting me about career choice. And it's very, very difficult. I have to really work on this and ask him a lot of questions and converse with him extensively because I'm torn between, on the one hand, he clearly has a gift in both these areas. 
And so to go and um, turn your back on a gift that God gave you, well, that's not a good idea. But on the other hand, um, there's always the danger that when you go into an area in which you have a gift, then you don't pay enough attention to the, the, the ordinary and basic rules of progress and success in finance. You might start thinking your gift will carry you through, and it won't. So I don't yet know what advice I'm going to give this young man, but what I would certainly say to our audience today is that be extremely cautious about thinking you have a gift. Even if all the people who love you most keep telling you you've got a real gift, don't believe it because they love you. You need to hear it from somebody who cares nothing for you. And if you do hear it from people who care nothing for you and they tell you you've got a real gift, uh, then you have to you have to think about that and take it into account. Um, I know so many young uh, boys in my community um, who believe that they have a gift at different sports. They're doing really well at their school. And the ones who talk to me, uh, I, I say to them, look, I'm sorry, I'm you're much better at sports than I ever was. I don't mind telling you that. But at the same time, I'm going to tell you that's not going to get you the price of a cup of coffee. And you're in a small school now. And in this school, everyone thinks you're uh, uh, the, the cat's whiskers. And um, if you decide to waste precious years um, trying to make your, uh, your sports ability, your career, you're going to run into such a level of competition that you're going to suddenly discover that you might have had a, 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 a skill at this in a small group of people. But when a nation gathers its very best, you're not at that level. I've had girls. Um, tell me that uh, they want to become models because everyone tells them they have the look of a model. No, everyone doesn't tell you that. Your mother and your aunt tell you that. That's not good enough. Please go and learn to be an accountant. That way you'll always eat. And if you really, really do have the looks of a model, somebody will discover you while you're doing accounting. I appreciate this true, hard, tough love, you know, that you're sharing because a lot of people aren't going to share what you've shared. Um, and, I, and I appreciate you doing that. Um, and by the way, you'll find not a lot of Jews in sports, mm -hmm. not a lot of Jews in modeling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's not that's not because none of us can hit a ball or none of us look good. I mean, I could, you know, I could be a model, but um uh, but it's because we like being safe and secure when it comes to finances. Mm. Yeah, you know, speaking on that, um, could you could you go into because a lot of people have the misconception um, that the Jewish people are successful because of some heavenly download that that came in or endowed with a certain DNA. But as you go to explain, and through many books that I've read from you, um, there's core principles. There's there's things that they, that the Jewish people as a as a whole understand that the other people may just overlook and don't pay especially close attention to. So could you explain why this there, there's such a, um, a disproportionate amount of success in the Jewish population compared to other? Yeah. Um, the answer is I can, but I won't mm -hmm. because I'd much rather people go out and do what you did, which is buy my book. Absolutely. And it's, uh, it's, it's a long, big book. Um, it's hundreds and hundreds of pages. It's like uh, over 200 pages. And, uh, and that's how long it would take for me to explain. Mm -hmm. It's not that there's any one thing. 
there's there's a lot of points i broke it down to 10 basic principles and each one is the main section in that book which has 10 sections um but in order to answer your question david i'll certainly give you an example of of one um uh, so you see um we we have learned that translations of the bible are very unreliable and uh, it's much more effective, certainly the Old Testament, much more effective to study it in the original Hebrew. And when, when we do that, um, one of the things that we discover um, is that certain words don't mean what we thought they meant. And that sheds entirely new meaning. And I know I annoyed you and made you mad before, but this one, I'm going to make you smile. You're going to be really happy with what I'm going to tell you now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about four simple verses in the Bible. It's four simple verses that anybody who's interested can easily find them. And many of many people know them already. Um, so the first one is, and I can just say the beginning part of the sentence, and I know many people will fill the rest in. God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it. Correct? Correct. And um, then in chapter 20 of Exodus, uh, we have uh, the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment is to keep the Sabbath day holy. Keep the Sabbath day holy, and uh, and what it says is, do all your work in the six. For in six days you must do all your work. So I've shown you now two verses where the translation says work. God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it, and six days you must do all your work and rest on the seventh. Now I'm going to show you two other verses. In the beginning of Exodus, God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. Right? This was at the burning bush. It's easy. And finally, in the last chapter of the book of Joshua, chapter in the very last chapter, Verse 15 says, and, and Joshua, has, he's a little annoyed at the, uh, at the people. And he says to them, you know what? You people, you can all do whatever you like. But as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. So, David, are you with me? I've yes. given you two, two work verses and two worship verses. Yes, sir. Garden of Eden to work it. Six days you must do your work. Let my people go so they may worship me in the desert. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. So uh, um, Pharaoh and Joshua are worship, Garden of Eden, and seventh, seven days, six days of work, that's work. And that's, there's nothing I've said here that anybody would disagree with, excepting that in ancient Jewish wisdom, we look at the Hebrew word. And would you be astounded to hear that it's not two different words, work and worship. It's all one word. Mm. All four verses use the same Hebrew word. Mm. And the meaning of this is very profound. The meaning of this is that doing your daily work is worshiping the Lord. It's the same word. So a lot of people think that what we do for, and I, I recommend nobody should get used to this idea of working eight hours a day. You should work 10 hours a day. Uh, so what you do 10 hours a day, well, that's my, that's, that's taking care of business, but my time with God, well, that's Sunday morning at church and Wednesday evening at Bible study. That's it. And it's not true. Part of your ministry is taking care of your customers, taking care of your clients, serving your boss or your manager or your supervisor or whoever it is all of those activities are just as much worshiping the lord as going to praying at church that's a very profound thing 
because when you learn that, and again, in my book, Thou Shall Prosper, I explain that much more in depth than I'm explaining it here. But once you've learned that, um, that taking care of business is another part of serving God, you can imagine that I go off to work on Monday morning with a totally different spirit in my heart. So it's like one translation can just change everything. And it open. does. Yes, it does. Wow. 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 That that That's giving me, you know, I've read the book and I'm getting even more insight as you, you, you're sharing with that with me. No, the translation robs it of its most important meaning. I, I want to go. I want to go study Hebrew now. <laughs> I want to study well, Hebrew. <laughs> easy to get a good start on that at my website. Awesome! I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do uh, that. The program is called Scrolling Through Scripture. We're gonna plug that in the show notes. Scrolling through Scripture. Scrolling and... through Scripture, and it's uh, you'll find it right there. Wonderful. At Wonderful. my website. We're gonna lead people there. Um, so, re regarding you, you know, this whole process of discovery so there's there, we believe that there's a part that uh and it's a principle that you talk about that that humans possess the ability to transform themselves right um can you expound on on that uh for listeners how can they experience true transformation in their lives because i don't think some people think that they think oh i'm this way i'm gonna stay this way they don't believe that they can develop they don't believe they can learn a new thing or turn into a salesperson as you talked about or turn into to something different How, can you expand on that yeah um i'm pleased you brought that up because i hear this an awful lot um i i teach not only why it is important to make new friends but i also teach on how it's how to do it and um a lot of people say to me you know i'm just not a a, a people person i'm 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 not a gregarious person um you know, I, uh, I, I get my energy mostly from just being by myself. I don't like being with a lot of people. And my answer is that in that case, I hope you like living on the streets and eating bread. Because what you're telling me is you're not willing to change in order to, to make more money. And it's, it, it just doesn't make any sense because we, we do it in other areas, you know, if um, we, we, you know, some of us go to the gym and we work out why, because we want to improve our body mass or we want to build up uh, core strength. You don't just accept your, yourself the way you are. And even, you know, even adolescents who are, you know, who, who, who really don't show this a lot of the time, but even, you know, young people will, will work very hard to, you know, if, if they have, uh, you know, bad complexion, they'll, they'll, they'll use medications, they'll do all kinds of things to make themselves look better. And then somehow as adults, we kind of start thinking of ourselves as if we're animals. Now, what I mean by that is that um, you see uh, a camel or a cat or a cow or a kangaroo tomorrow and next week and next year, if it's alive, will still be a camel and a cat and a cow and a kangaroo. Nothing's going to change. But yesterday I was an engineer. Today I'm a rabbi. And that changes everything. Um, you know, there, there are people who, who can and should look back and say, you know, I, I was a complete idiot when I was in my 20s. I, I, I didn't know anything. Yeah, but now you're not. So you've changed. You've proven that you can change. Now, here are some of the other areas you need to look at changing. And so, unfortunately, because popular culture has convinced us that we are nothing but sophisticated baboons, popular culture has taught us. And here, I'm, look, I'm not going into a theological or a biological discussion of evolution or whatever. I'm just saying the culture has drummed it into every kid and every adult again and again and again and again, which is that, you know, we are on this planet only because of a lengthy process of unaided materialistic evolution. And that means 
that we are nothing but sophisticated baboons. And that means we cannot change. But I believe and I teach that we are unique creatures touched by the finger of God. And that means that we can change in everything and in every way. And we and we have to. No matter. Somebody asked me yesterday. Uh, no, Tuesday night. Somebody asked me, um, "What happens if we had a really bad upbringing and um, our parents, you know, really abused the, uh, me and my siblings, and and we are uh, and we were given all kinds of trouble, and we needed therapy and all this sort of stuff." Again, I'm sorry, but the answer is forget about it. Stop looking backwards. Stop looking for excuses. Stop playing the victim. Stop pretending that your parents are responsible for every problem you got. Look, the one maybe they are, maybe they aren't. That I don't know. But one thing I'll tell you, I do know, is they are responsible for you being here. Be grateful and leave it at that and move on. Well, how do I get past the trauma of my childhood? Forget about it. Just stop the nonsense. Just decide what you want to do and what you want to be and do it. And discipline yourself and make yourself do it. Just do it. Stop focusing on all the reasons. Yes, you can change. No matter how bad a start you got in life, you can change. I, I have a nephew who had a very, very bad start in life. And uh, during his teenage years, he, he sort of wallowed in it a little bit and, you know, extracted as much sympathy as he could get. And then he picked himself up and said, time to get to work. And he's doing great. Wow. Thank you. I know somebody needed to hear that and uh, they're going to be transformed by it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, regarding the process of of taking someone's gifting skills into the next level, there has to be a level of marketing and, and it conscious, consciously putting themselves out there. Uh, and, and you've, you've shown that as well. Um, as I studied about from your background, just, you know, when you were in Seattle and you had, a, you were in media leveraging media from a long period of time, from 95 to, to 2006, you had a, you know, your, your weekly, radio show and then from there you you develop on tv shows and, and dave ramsey's show and all these different forms of media to to kind of share your gifting your purpose your talent and, and things of that nature so what what would you say um about the or what does for, from your perspective as well as the study of from ancient jewish wisdom on marketing your gift and getting it out there and promoting yourself um, so the main thing, I mean, it's interesting, I, listening to you sort of recounting my history makes me say to myself, what an idiot I was when I was 20. Hmm. You know, how little I knew. Um, and uh, from the elements, was I marketing myself? Um, no, not, not, not actively as marketing, um, because we are all very sensitive to anything non-authentic. We have different words and ways of describing it. You know, he's full of it. Mm -hmm. But all the different words we have to talk about people like that, it all comes down to the same thing, which is he's not being authentic. He's, he's pushing an agenda. And when the agenda is me, myself, that is one of the least attractive agendas. And so it's, it's very questionable whether you should be thinking of marketing yourself. What you should do is be obsessively preoccupied with finding ways to add to the pleasure and the lives and the benefits of your fellow human beings. That's all you should be doing. And so, you know, you're a young person, you're in your first job. I can't tell you how important it is to deliver more than is expected of you. That's how you market yourself. You don't, you know, you don't have to put yourself out on Facebook. 
right? I would switch a thousand Facebook friends for two customers. <laughs> I love that. good forget facebook uh you don't need to market yourself you're a young person in your first job the way you market yourself is by delivering more than is expected um if if your shift starts at uh, 8 a.m come in at 7 30 so you can <clears throat> so you can oil your machine and make your workplace ready so is that at eight o'clock you're actually ready to start um if you're expected to uh, produce a hundred widgets a day, produce 110. Now, maybe some of your fellow workers won't like you, but that doesn't matter so much. And that's how you market eh, in whatever area it is. Uh, you you deliver more than anyone expects from you. That's gold. It really is. It really, really, really is. And so, you know, if you're in sales, then make sure you keep coming back to the customer and saying, are they, are they happy with it? Do they need any help? Follow up because reputation is really gold. Uh, you know, when Chrysler bought Jeep for a one and a half billion dollars, you know what they got for all their money? No factories, really. No dealerships. Jeep had been run into the ground. What Chrysler bought for one and a half billion dollars was the reputation of Jeep. The country still had a lot of people who served in World War II and a lot of people who watched World War II movies and a lot of people who believed that Jeep was the vehicle that won World War II. And I think also Korea and also Vietnam. And so people said, man, if, if Jeep is good enough, to uh, to serve our military is good enough for me. Well, of course, you know, as time went by, the value of that de declined. But the bottom line I'm making is that uh, that reputation was was worth a one and a half billion dollars. So, how you develop and grow and protect your reputation uh, is is gold. That's that's what marketing really means. Now, you got to use you got to find ways to serve people and you may well decide to use Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever it is you can use. Use every tool there is. Maybe it means going to talk to the pastor at your church and making sure he knows how you can help other people. Maybe you need nothing more than to say to him, hey, listen, by the way, uh, I, uh, I'm an Uber driver and I love taking people to the airport and I'm very good at it. I always get people on time and I help with the baggage. So, pastor, if you know you'd be amazed what that simple conversation will produce for you if you are a driver that's good that's good you know uh, um i, I want to talk about shift gears a little bit and and talk about money and wealth a little bit because um there is a there's a a lot of mental blocks that people have concerning money and i did uh, before reading your book, and I, I, I promote your book everywhere I can and every opportunity, anytime. I talk Thank about you very book. much. I so, appreciate that because so, I also like to eat. Yeah, it's great. I believe it. I believe it. That's 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 what I've had to come to learn is, is that like selling is not a bad thing, and you really you really you really help people with that. But there are let's be honest, there are people out there who are skeptical about money, and they're also skeptical about does God want us to be wealthy and 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 does you know could you give us some understanding especially for the skeptic skeptic person listening does god really want me to be wealthy and 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 grow in financial success? that i don't know mm -hmm. i i you know the good lord tells me a few things every now and then mostly about me not being good but um but he hasn't told me whether he wants you to be wealthy or not but i'll tell you what he has told me and that is, he has told me that he wants you to focus on being obsessive about the needs and the desires of his other children. And if you just focus obsessively on trying to give the other people in your life and in your world the things they need and the things they want, you should not be surprised that a good and loving God rewards you with the incredible blessing of financial abundance. 
In other words, the focus is never, how do I get some more money? I've got to get more money. What do I do to get? The focus is on how do I spot other people I can help? How do I find customers? How do I find clients? Um, how do I find um, a boss who will employ me and come to regard it as one of the luckiest days of his lives when he met, when he met me? How do I do all of those things? The money will follow by itself. And I, I, I mean, there's not, not time in our short conversation today, but in my book, I go into it at great length. And on my website, I go into it at great length, which is that money is essentially something spiritual. And we see it uh, most notably with Bitcoin. Now, where people are trying to understand, like, what's Bitcoin? Money, all money is spiritual. This is really an important thing. Cryptocurrencies are just one obvious example of that. And uh, money being a, a spiritual entity, um, it is the, the proof. And this is the best definition of money there is. It's the proof that you have served another one of God's children. That's why you got it. Unless you, unless you robbed somebody, that's a different story. Wow. Um, I, I hope, I hope you got to take notes on that and re you need to re replay this interview again. And I know we only have a few more minutes left with you. I, I, I and I'm cognizant of your time. Um, I have two more questions that hopefully we can fit them in. <laughs> um, the, the, the first question is, um, with the, the prophet Elijah and, um, when he told the woman at Zarephath to borrow, uh, some, uh, I think barrels to get oil, um, there, I think a lot of people have a misconception with debt and borrowing and what is, what is, you know, God's perspective on, on that. So, um, what, what would you say to, about, you know, someone in that case, like the women, the widow borrowing to, to, to build her financial enterprise and, and things of that nature. Some people would say no debt at all. Some people are like use debt for good. And I was curious, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts? And I'd say it's different for everybody. What she was doing was different. She had an oil well. Essentially, the prophet Elijah was just pouring out oil. And so she had limitless oil. She just needed a place to store it in. And so uh, she could have bought the barrels. She could have rented the barrels. She could have borrowed them. It makes no difference. She had, she had the asset to cover it. Uh, but um, uh, I'm with my friend Dave Ramsey on avoiding debt, certainly for any consumer item. Um, cars, um, toys, electronics, furniture. Yeah, I, th I think he's right. Um, but if it's a, um, a mortgage to buy a, a good piece of real estate, that may well, that may well make sense to have that debt. Uh, a business loan, you know, maybe, and you got to be very careful again. And when I say a business loan, not just not just any loan, but um, but you know, um, to to grow your inventory or, or or to develop an untapped area of the business, um, that may well make sense. And particularly if you have a designated cash flow to service the loan. Um, but you don't want to be like the government, just borrowing, with no idea of how to pay it back. Right. Absolutely. No. So, uh, so I, th I, I believe in, in a, in a balanced approach there, David. Um, I'd say, you know, very much depends on the situation. Okay. Now I appreciate you sharing that. I, I, I hope people are taking heed. Um, so there are plenty of resources. I want to point people to, uh, one, uh, going to rabbi Daniel We're, we're going to, we're going to point people there directly. But you have a you have a movement uh, going on called We Happy Warriors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, and it's wonderful. Yeah, it, it really is. I, I just uh, I really just even from the video that I watched, and I, I thought it was powerful just how you share that, you know, everything that we want to maintain or grow like a, a garden. Uh, if we want our garden to grow, you can't just leave a garden and expect it to, to maintain itself. You have to that's work for on sure. it. It's going to naturally decay uh uh if it's not growing it's gonna die uh the same thing for you know as you mentioned a home maintaining your home maintaining your car maintaining your family so 
I thought it was re a really interesting way to look at it. And so could you just speak to We are we Happy Warriors and, and how people can get involved? We're going to also plug that link at the bottom for people to join. Yeah. Um, so I think the best way to uh, um, to learn about that is to listen to uh, my podcast again at my website. Um, but it's it's as as you said quite correctly, David, um, happiness is uh, our decision. It's not contingent on anybody else. Nobody else can make us happy and nobody else has the power to take away our happiness. Um, and uh, it's a lesson I, I learned from my mother and she was very, very strict about this. I was 11 years old and she said, uh, your happiness is not my job. And, um, and, and that's exactly right. It's each of, and so being a happy warrior means that we take responsibility for our own happiness. And, uh, and secondly, it means recognizing that we're in a struggle. The only time the struggle is over is when you die and you go home to God's embrace. Plenty time to relax there. Uh, until that time, he wants us to be in a struggle. To improve ourselves, to demand more of ourselves in a way that animals do not do. And um, to uh, um, create uh, and take care of our fi finances and our families and build our families. All of this is hard. This is a struggle every single hour of every single day. And the key to it is, is being happier, to, to, to enjoy it. I notice that sometimes runners have a smile on their face. They're running, the sweat's pouring off them. They're, uh, you know, they've done four miles already. Um, you know, for me, running means going down Concourse C at Chicago Airport. Um, but uh, these guys run and they got a smile on their face. Now, it's not a grimace. It may look a bit like a grimace, but it's actually a smile. They are enjoying the struggle. And that's called being a happy warrior. And I, I talk about that a lot. Wonderful. We're going to definitely point people to that. We have one final question we ask all our guests. Um, and I uh, would love to hear your perspective on this. Um, what's the difference between one's gift and one's purpose? That's a good question. Uh, you're throwing it out to me where we've just got a few seconds left. <laughs> yes. um, it's a difference between gift and purpose. Well, I think our purpose is, is very is, is very simple. I mean, <clears throat> our purpose, um, and again, I hate to do this in 10 seconds because uh, I speak for three hours sometimes at churches. Uh, I'll do a three-hour seminar on exactly this point. But, you know, our purpose is to focus on our five Fs. Focus on our faith our relationship with God, our family, our friends, our finances, our relationship with money, and our relationship with our body, fitness. That's what I call the five Fs. And uh, so that's everybody's purpose. I'll tell you what it isn't. Your purpose isn't to improve the world. Because that's the language that some of the worst tyrants of history used. Oh, we're just improving the world. Don't worry, let God take care of the world. You take care of the, your five Fs. Everything else will be good. Um, so that's your purpose. And uh, what your gifts are, as I say, one has to be very careful. I mean, you know, a gift is something that uh, without any effort, just, um, you know, out of the chute, you're better at it than most other people. Well, that's a gift. But don't rely on it. Don't, don't sit back on that gift. That doesn't exempt you from effort. It demands greater effort. Wow, tremendous. Thank you so much, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Uh, you, you're always a tremendous uh, source of-, uh, of the Well, I'm so so pleased, just delighted to uh, have this opportunity to, to connect up again, David. Yeah. And uh, again, anytime I can be of any help uh, to, to you or, or your, your people, of course, and please do give my regards to all my friends. Uh, there are many people you, know, you and I know in common. I'd really appreciate them knowing that I think of them very often. They're in my prayers. Awesome. 
certainly will do. Thank you again. Um, blessings upon you and your family, and uh, shalom. And uh, shalom. <laughs> I, I definitely let you know as soon as this is published and get the word out to you and um, promote it everywhere we can. Oh, I, I appreciate that very much, and um, and uh, um, and uh, I will say I will say goodbye to you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye and, and blessings to you, David. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons. Yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons.